0: Last night, as we uh, as we came to our time of uh, understanding and talking about where Jesus was and what was going on in his last 24 hours, if you remember there in Matthew chapter 27 and in verse 22, we're there with Pilate and Pilate is compromising his, his conviction and he's compromising his conscience in so many different ways. And finally, he just kind of throws his hands up. And in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 22, Pilate says to them, then what shall I do with this Jesus, who is called Christ? And we all know what the crowds cried out that day because they were so worked up and they were so in such a, a frenzy by the, those that were leading those false trials and those false moments in one accord, all together, because the high priests and all of the Sanhedrin had worked them up into that state. They all cry out, "What, crucifying, crucifying." crucifying. Tonight, my purpose as we go through, again, this last stage, this last few moments of Jesus's 24 hours as we're now right at the moment of his crucifixion. My purpose tonight is not to go into all of the gory details surrounding the crucifixion, but I believe it is important that we understand some of the details surrounding that So that we can truly prepare our hearts to be excited about what we'll be coming to tomorrow morning. And that is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So as we continue looking at Jesus' last 24... You probably are like me, living in this part of Texas and living, uh, no doubt, having to drive up I-45 on different occasions, whether that's to go on a trip or to go take care of some kind of business. You've driven past the Texas Prison Museum there on I-45 North, just on the north side of Huntsville. What that museum reminds us is the fact is that Texas is a state that enforces capital punishment, and if you were there to go through that museum, what you would find is that through the years that Texas has used hanging and Texas has used the electric chair and Texas has also used lethal injection by which to execute criminals that have been found worthy of capital punishment. If we were to travel back to this this time where this last few minutes of Jesus's life are be- is before us, we'd find that crucifixion is the means. It is the way through which the Roman Empire 2000 years ago Employed capital punishment was through crucifixion, crucifixion. We have to understand and in our thinking, in our mind, when we think of capital punishment, especially today, and we think about the lethal injection and we think about how quickly that takes Effect And then we realized that the reason we went to lethal injection is because we found that the electric chair was somewhat inhumane. And then when we really went back and looked at what hanging was like and how that as a culture and as a people with a conscience, we though we wanted to enact swift justice and we wanted to do things that was a deterrent to crime, we still wanted to be humane in the way that we did those things. But not the Roman government. Crucifixion was a means, yes, for capital punishment, but crucifixion was even more important to be a form of humiliation. If the authorities so chose and if they wanted to really drag things along, it could take as much as nine days or as long as nine days for a person to actually die. Most of our. Renderings of the crucifixion with a little bit of blood that is dripping out of the hands and some of those things is such a miscalculation, a misunderstanding of crucifixion. As you can imagine, over nine days without food, without water, without anything to cover you, because in our depictions of the crucifixion, there's always a loincloth that's covering the person that's being portrayed, but that was never the case. You weren't vulnerable unless you were completely naked. You were not completely humiliated until everybody walking by could see every bone in your body. There was nothing to hide behind. There was nothing. Your sins were before the people. While we think of capital punishment and being humane, it was just the opposite with the Roman government. Despite its frequency by use by the Roman government, crucifixion did not escape mention by some of Rome's greatest orators. Francis Marcus Cicero described crucifixion as a most cruel and disgusting punishment. He suggested that the very mention of the cross should be far removed not only from a Roman citizen's body, but from its mind, his eyes and eyes. His ears. The Bible does indeed have much to say about the crucifixion. And tonight, as we've been this week journeying through Matthew chapter 26 and then into Matthew chapter 27, you may already be turned there. But tonight I'm going to ask you to turn over to the 22nd Psalm. While there are many things that are written about the crucifixion. Oftentimes what we find here in the 22nd Psalm is not looked at in times like this because there have been critics that have tried to express that somehow the suffering and the 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 description that we find in Psalm 22 is really of David and some kind of experience that he had. But as we study the Old Testament, we study the books of poetry, never do we find that David experienced the kind of excruciating pain And the kind of things that we see the main character of Psalm 22 going through. And it is no doubt this is a prophetic psalm that's speaking of what we're looking at tonight. And that's the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want us to use this prophetic psalm tonight as a lens. And I want that lens to help us better, better understand the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. To help us truly tonight grasp. What our Lord and Savior was going through. Now, I know chronologically, day wise, we're not in the right place. But as we've taken these last 24 hours and we've pieced them together over this week, we find ourselves at the cross with Jesus Christ and his experience of crucifixion. And if we can concentrate on this and we can allow this to speak into our hearts and minds, how much greater will our appreciation be for what Jesus endured for us, and then tomorrow when we come for Resurrection Sunday, how much greater will our joy be that our Savior did not remain in this state, but He is alive today. All well. Psalm 22 and verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. When you jump back over to Matthew, chapter twenty seven, which has been the text that we've been journeying through, Matthew records for us that in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. In Mark's account, this is in Hebrew in Mark's account, we find it given to us in Aramaic. It is a statement that. God, the spirit, wants all of us to clearly understand, regardless of our nationality, regardless of our background, regardless of our language of choice. He wants all people to understand it was here on this cross that Jesus Christ cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is fulfilling Somewhere in the first century, this. Prophetic utterance that was given about what the Messiah, the Savior of the world would have to say when we read this and we study it, what we begin to realize is the crucifixion and what we understand from the cup that we looked at this week as we studied the Lord's Savior, the Lord's Supper, what we know is that Jesus was forsaken by God for me. I want you to say that with me tonight. Jesus. Was forsaken by God for me. At first glance, this is quite surprising. At first mention, when we hear those words, Jesus was forsaken by God for me, it doesn't make sense. Jesus had always had God the Father's will as the preeminent motivation behind everything that he did. God the Son always usurped his own authority for the authority of the Father in all that he did. But as you read further in this Psalm, you see why it is that God forsake Jesus for me. In verse Two of Psalm 22, it says, oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer and by night, but I have no rest yet. You are holy. O oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. This verse, it affirms the holiness of God. And we, we compare this verse to other passages such as Habakkuk chapter one and verse 13, where it says you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. We understand that God, the father forsook God, the son, not because God, the son was evil, but because God, the son took all of the sins and all of the evilness and all of the dastardly deeds that we would commit past, present and future. And he bore those on his body at the cross. That's why Isaiah chapter 53 says, surely our griefs he himself bore. And our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. Everything that Jesus suffered, everything that Jesus went through, all of the beatings, all of the, of the strife and the struggle that Jesus went through, He went through for me. Say it. He went through it for me. Romans chapter five says, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. For God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. First Corinthians 15, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse 21. He, God, made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. First Thessalonians, chapter five, for God has not destined us for wrath. But for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Hebrews two, nine, but we do see him who was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death Crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. First Peter 3, 18 for Christ also died for sins once for all the just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus Was forsaken by God for me so that he could pay the debt for my sins. This week we've taken a look and we've taken a look at the Passover meal and 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 I don't want to belabor that point. But the cliff note version, the Hebrews are being held captive in Egypt and Pharaoh is not letting God's people go. And so God enacts 10 plagues upon all of Egypt in an attempt to show Pharaoh he needs to let God's people go. And the ultimate plague was this death angel. The death of the firstborn of all the people in Egypt. At least all the people who didn't have the blood of the Passover lamb sprinkled on their doorpost. And while we study that idea and we looked at it in the upper room with Jesus, what we cannot miss from this idea of the Passover lamb is that was the first or the initiation of an entire animal sacrifice system given to the children of Israel by which people could take a lamb to a priest and have that lamb sacrificed as a symbolic covering of their sins. Listen to that tonight. The Passover Festival was the remembering of that first night that instituted this animal sacrifice system that has now been taking place for thousands of years by the time of Jesus' crucifixion, where a person could take a lamb to a priest and have that lamb sacrificed as a symbolic covering for their sins. For thousands of years, people have journeyed to the tabernacle in the wilderness or the temple in Jerusalem with a lamb to be slaughtered as a sacrifice for their sins for a year. It was never intended to be the final remedy. Hebrews tells us all about that in Hebrews chapter 10. It says for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise. Would they not have ceased to be offered if the lamb, the, 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 the physical lamb, though the lamb that was instituted at Passover, if it could take away the sins of me, then why did I have to keep coming back year after year after year after year? Otherwise, would these sacrifices not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have had consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. Recently, Bryce had a golf tournament and our family drove to where he was and we watched him for a few days. And one of the nights that we were there, we all went out to eat. And uh, we, we went to a restaurant, and we were enjoying our meal together, and, and the, the, the the tab came. I tried to give that to Bryce, and that didn't work very good. I learned something about those trips. You better come with a lot of money in the back pocket, right, daddies? I look in my billfold, and there's not enough money to cover the cost. So I take out a credit card, and I give that credit card to the waitress, and that credit card paid for our meal that night. But did it really? Really, what that credit card did, it is allowed me to enjoy the benefits of that meal. But later in time. I would have to pay. For what I enjoyed. I think this is a a perfect picture. Of the forgiveness of sins. That we see depicted in the Old Testament. God has this spiritual. Spiritual charge account. People are living during the Old Testament times and they would use a spiritual credit card to tap into the charge account that has been set up and the credit card, the spiritual credit card, it's a lamb. And that lamb, that credit was paid for the sins that they had committed, but it really wasn't satisfying the debt. It was just placing it To be accounted for at a later date. The lamb gave the opportunity to be forgiven of their sins with the promise. That they were really being added to a future bill. And that future bill would have to be paid by someone. But yet that charge account. It's growing and it's growing and it's growing, and you think our country has a deficit now. You can't imagine the sin bill that was owed when we come to Golgotha the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. That's why Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4 goes on to say, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The spiritual credit card bill—it's growing. Trillions of sins were being committed. Millions of animals are being sacrificed, but the debt of sin just continues to rise higher and higher and higher. Till finally, Jesus shows up on the sin on the scene, and John the Baptist looks at him and says, "Hey guys, behold the Lamb of God—that's going to take away the sin debt that we all owe." He was announcing that Jesus was the final, full, complete sacrifice that would pay the sin credit card bill from all of eternity past to all of eternity future. And while he was picking up our tab so that we could have eternal life, Jesus was forsaken by God for me. Say it with me. Jesus was forsaken by God for me. You know what else we see in this crucifixion story is that Jesus was despised by people for me. Say it. Jesus was despised by people for me. Jesus, accusers didn't even treat him like a human being. They treated him less than human. We saw last night that they denied, they denied all of his legal rights. They arrested and tried him illegally. They considered him guilty before they ever heard the case. The officials who should have been guaranteeing him a fair trial actually hired false witnesses to come up against him. During his six mock trials, he stood before the Sanhedrin. He stood before Pilate. He stood before Herod. And each time he was kicked around like a football. They despised him. Well, it's foretold in Psalm 22 and verse six. I'm a worm, not a man. At this point, I'm of no value. I, I, I'm a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They they separate with the lift. They wag their heads saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. At Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus was forsaken by God for me. Say it. Jesus was. But not only was he forsaken by God, what else? He was forsaken. He was despised, not just forsaken by God, but he was despised by people for me. Say it. What else we see in this passage is he was crucified like a criminal for me. Psalm 22 and verse 11 But not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and a roaring lion. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot sheared and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count my bones. They, they look and they stare at me. And they divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Jesus was forsaken by God for me. Say it. Jesus was despised by people for me. me. And Jesus Jesus was crucified like a criminal for me. Man, what a graphic reminder of the crucifixion that Jesus endured for me. remember, we're not studying Jesus's last 24 just so that we have historical information so that we're better at spouting out facts. We're studying Jesus's last 24 because we want to extract some application to put into practice in our life. That's why I love what Warren Wiersbe says about Psalm 22. He says that the fact such a description is found here is amazing. Because the Jews did not practice crucifixion. Do you hear what he's saying tonight? The dating of Psalm 22, the Jews did not practice crucifixion. That was not the way that they enacted capital punishment. How did they enact capital punishment? Stoning. The fact that such a description is found here is amazing because the Jews did not practice crucifixion. This form of death was, was devised by the Medes and the Persians and the Assyrians from whom it spread throughout the East. The Romans borrowed it from the Phoenicians. I'm going to read an account of Jesus's crucifixion. And then when I finish that, I'm going to ask the choir to come back up. They're going to share a song with us and we're going to take all of this week and we're going to let it marinate in our mind and we're going to see what I need to make application into my life so that I'm not just a hearer of the word, but I'm a doer of the word. And the application that I want us to make as I read through this, as we looked at Psalm 22, that was written thousands of years before it played out in Jesus's life. We've looked at Psalm 22 and we've seen how that that wasn't even a type of capital punishment employed by the Hebrews. As we read through the account of Jesus's crucifixion, you're going to notice the authenticity and the accuracy and the absolute truth of God's word. God has given us a tool by which we can know him and we can know the power of his resurrection tonight. I believe with this picture of what Jesus endured on the cross depicted thousands of years earlier in Psalm 22, it makes us appreciate even more the privilege that we have to hold God's word in our hands Matthew 27 and verse 15 says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with this Jesus who's called Christ? And they all said, crucify him. Then the soldiers of the governor, they took Jesus into the praetorium and they gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and they mocked him saying, hail king of the Jews. And they spat on him and they took the reed and they began to beat him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off of him and put his own garments back on him and they led him away to crucify him. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots and sitting down, they began to watch over him there and above his head. They put up the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying. You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit and behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the Holy Spirit and uh, excuse me, the Holy City and they appeared to many. Now will you focus in on this last verse tonight? Remember, we're not studying the last twenty four for historical purposes. We're studying it for practical application. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things which were happening, they became frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. This week, the majority of you have been here all week. The majority have been here at least a portion of the week. And I, and I wonder tonight if. It maybe that you're like the centurion. And the crowd that was gathered with him around the cross. The crowd that was there to protect and make sure that Jesus stayed up there. So it's 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 Roman guards. It's guards that have been placed there by the Sanhedrin. Some of that crowd that despised Jesus and wanted to make sure that nobody took his body down because they wanted to make sure that he really did die. It was it was those that were spiritually skeptical. It was those that were religiously. Disillusioned. there were those that were struggling with Jesus not doing things. The way that they presupposed that he was supposed to do. And over the course of his last 24 hours. They had an awakening. That this Jesus Christ really is something different than I that he was. Maybe over these few nights that we've been together, maybe the paradigm shift that you've had is that. I've had that physical relationship with Jesus Christ and I thought doing all of these things and going through these motions, that's what I was supposed to do for Jesus to accept me. And I've come to the realization this week that I don't do anything for Jesus to accept me. He's already done everything. And it's time for me to recognize him as my savior, not some kind of cosmic bully that if I don't do enough, he's going to throw me into the pit of hell. But he was forsaken by God. And he was despised by a crowd. And he was crucified like a criminal. Because he loves me so much. He wants me to spend eternity with him. Maybe there's some of you here today and you need to have a a change. And you're having a change. And your vision of Jesus is changing because... Yeah, you've made that change, that transition from a physical relationship to a spiritual relationship. But you've not grown in years. I didn't say you don't go to church. I didn't say you don't teach a class. I didn't say that you don't do good things. That may not be where some of you are. Some of you may not darken the door of a church except on special occasions. But through this process, man, you've realized I've got a different view of who Jesus is and what He's done for me. Maybe tonight what Those of you that need to make that transition from a physical to a spiritual relationship, you need to come to the point where you say, I don't boast in myself anymore. But I'm going to boast in the name of the Lord, my God. Maybe what others of us need to do tonight is we need to stop boasting in the fact that, well, I can have a relationship with God and I don't need to be going up to church and I don't need to be doing things that religion tells me you are absolutely correct. But when you really step back and you look at your life, you really see by not doing that you're not living much different than the world. Nobody can really tell that you've ever made Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe tonight you need to stop boasting in your sin. You need to boast in the name of the Lord your God. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me tonight if you would. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and then the choir's going to share a song with us and While they do that, I'm just going to invite you to stand to your feet and just to contemplate the words of what they're saying. And as we've done every night, I would just ask that you do what the Holy Spirit puts upon your heart to do. If you need to come pray, come pray. If you need to visit with someone, I'll be right here at the front. And you just come say, hey, Pastor, I want to talk to somebody about what I've realized about Jesus tonight. It's a safe place, safe environment. We're all here because we desire to know more about Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Now, what I do know is going to happen is while you're right now even thinking about what I'm saying, Satan is already trying to give you reasons not to and excuses not to and don't. You just have to determine tonight what you're going to boast in. so when I say amen just very quietly stand to your feet and with every head bowed and every eye closed just just let those words that the choir sings pour over you and if God asks you to do something the Holy Spirit moves just say yes and however we can help with that we're here to do Father we come to you right now and we we don't we don't understand and we don't even know the depth and the magnitude of the love and the grace and the mercy that you have for us But you're trying to help us <laughs> you're touching our hearts right now and I pray that you'd give each of us the courage to say yes to what you're asking us to do